Girlboss Radio is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with a Squarespace website. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code GIRLBOSS to get 10% off your first purchase. And by ShipStation. ShipStation helps you keep your customers happy by shipping out your orders quickly. Right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my offer code GIRLBOSS. Go to ShipStation.com, that's S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com, and enter GIRLBOSS. GIRLBOSS Radio is also sponsored by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is super simple cloud accounting software made for creative entrepreneurs who don't like dealing with numbers. To claim your free month, go to FreshBooks.com slash GIRLBOSS and enter GIRLBOSS in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of Girl Boss, and the soon-to-be author of Nasty Galaxy, which you can pre-order now on Amazon. Every week on Girl Boss Radio, I interview someone I think is super interesting in a quasi-selfish way to learn stuff. These are different women who have achieved something in their career for themselves or for other people and who all of us have a lot to learn from. This week's guest is Rachel Schechtman, founder and CEO of Story. But first, Liz Carey is back on the show. She's an actor, comedian, and one of my best friends. You can find her at the Liz Carey on Instagram. We'll be talking about the highs and lows of our week, our girl boss moments, and of course, your girl boss moments. Yes. Liz. Sophia. So you're back on your show, Fameless. I am. Cool. How's that been taping? And it's been fun. It's nice to be back at work again. Really early mm. mornings, huh? Mm-hmm. 4 a.m.? I mean, that's the time I have to get up because part of the fun of that job is you've got to come partially made up. So it's kind of fun to wake up and put uh, foundation and eye makeup on at 4.30 in the morning. Um, but pretty good. I spoke at this thing called Girls Build LA this weekend. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. Um, what is Girls Build LA? It was like four or five hundred middle school and high school aged girls and four, put 500? on by something called the LA Fund. Yeah. Something that Megan Chernin has put together is called the LA Fund and it's, uh, like supports public education. And, um, I was the keynote speaker and I said some stuff and Jeez. I said, listen to yourselves and yeah. you guys know yourselves better than everyone else. I just remember being a teenager and having everyone around me tell me that they knew better than me yeah. what was right for me. And like people are still when, doing that to me. <laughs> even when you're a teenager, I feel like a lot of us really do know, not that we know what our path should be, but just, as in essence, like who we are yeah. and what we will enjoy and what kind of environment we might thrive in. And, you know, I oh guess, my God, excuse Liz, that's me. disgusting. That was a, that was a gross one. Um, that was like a little bit of, but like pearl. I was in schools that just weren't right for the kind of learning that the way that I learn. And yeah. I feel like I like a square peg that got shoved into a round hole and it just never really worked. Yeah. So, yeah, these girls have to, you have to kind of make your own square peg. You've got to carve out the edges of that, of the, of the round hole. That's good. 500 is a lot of people. I, am I allowed to say that we did that interview since it was off the record? I've spoken to 5,000 people before. So God, I mean. I know, it's terrifying. Jeez Louise. It's that terrifying. was like, I interviewed her in front of, I don't even know, it was in just a small room, but I used to do stand up and that would be like maybe 100 people. I don't know how you just I don't spit know. it out there. I don't know. I prepare a little bit. You have some notes and stuff? Yeah. 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 Liz, did you have any girl boss moments this mm. week? 
More lessons, I'm afraid. More lessons, people. Uh-oh. So Liz has something called girl boss <laughs> lessons, which is her version of a girl boss moment, except it's the flip side where she learns something yeah. instead of uh, owns her life. Maybe life life is slapping it, you around? Yeah, or? it was slapping me around a little bit. I had a kind of a weird day on the job. I did something dumb. I went and washed my face before we were wrapped. <laughs> and it was the end of a really long day, and everybody had to wait for me. And I hate making a bunch of people wait, especially people that have been there for two hours longer than I have been. So they had to redo everything. I was like, oh, my God, why did I do this? And I was driving home. I called Sophia. I said, oh, I'm just having a day. It was just a combination of that and a million other things and being tired. And in case I haven't mentioned, I have whiplash. Anyway, um, yeah. Just in a crappy mood, and I felt like every I felt like I left work, and people were talking crap about me. Oh no! And that's not, the worst. It's feeling. just like a shitty feeling, like oh, I messed up today, and people don't like me. They and think you're like a rookie or something. Yeah. Like, oh, your boobs are big again. Yeah. Is it Shark Week? It's almost Shark it's Week. It's almost Shark Week. I think Woo. it is. And um, a friend of mine told me this for advice for everyone. For everyone. Yeah. We're all synced up. I don't know if this is good or bad advice. It's kind of take it as you will. But a friend of mine said. You know, this is L.A., and if you're ever caught in your head thinking like, oh, God, everybody's thinking crap about me, he goes, sweetie, it's L.A. Everybody's really busy thinking about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of like shitty advice, but also kind of the truth. So whenever I feel like that, I just kind of let it wash over me. So that's yeah. my that's my lesson. Just remember that we're all too busy with our own insanity. Yeah. To, Don't dwell on to it. To really think that you're insane. Yeah. Just be quietly insane by yourself. Cool. Yeah, that was my moment. Cool. My girl bus moment was talking at Girls Build LA for sure. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Just to, you know, it was funny. I left and I've been trying to figure out how to be good at public speaking. I thought they were And great. to do it, to, to improve my public speaking skills just for a group like that or for high school girls or for, not for like professional executives or not mm-hmm. to like be paid as a speaker or mm-hmm. anything like that, but to do it. Because it feels good and yeah. because I have some really simple things that I can share and maybe because my story gives some people hope. Like that's – that's Yeah, you want it to be – it's hard to keep it conversational and fun. That's what makes fun. me want to be good at yeah. it more than anything else. I should maybe come to one of your gigs. Yeah, maybe. I could use some comedic yeah, relief you know? sometimes. Just no, I mean just come in the audience. Mooning me from the crowd. Yeah, heckling. Yeah. I don't think that's true. Shut up. I doubt it. Girl loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so every week our listeners tune oh, yeah. in. You guys tweet in and Instagram in your hashtag girlboss moments. Yeah. Which is the time of your week where you felt like you were in control of your own life, where you were the boss of your own life. Being the boss of your own life is what being a girl boss is about. It's not necessarily about being the boss of other people. Uh, and that can be anything from, you know, I gave myself a bubble bath and really decompressed. And that was, that was me being in control of my life too. You know, I had a really busy week. I've never had a busier week and that's exactly what I wanted. And so that was my girl boss moment. Liz, you want to kick it off? I'll kick it off. Chelsea Tate at Tay Tay23 celebrating at Razzy Tweets becoming Dr. Amandi Tichi tonight. Uh-huh. Mo at MisfitLove16 says, saved roughly $2,000 since quitting drinking. I think I should splurge on some nasty gal items. Hashtag yeah. girl boss moment. Get that That's done. That's a lot. I mean, I've been drinking like 26 days and I can't imagine how much I'm like, I'm not counting. I should be counting. Yeah. But wine and the kind of wine that I end up ordering gets so expensive. She saved two grand. Girl, what, how much were you drinking? <laughs> it doesn't take much. 
Get that denim jumpsuit. Okay, let's see. Laura Kim LaRue. Some days the productivity levels are off the charts. Today is one of those days. Good job. We don't know what you're producing. Could be dildos, but either way, good job. Taylor at Taylor Kills got her article published in a major surf magazine. Nice. That's so cool. Congratulations, Taylor. Hope Sincere. I sincerely hope that's your real name. (laughs) At Sincere Hope. (laughs) Was the first to graduate college in my Haitian fam, got a great job in motion graphics, and just bought myself a new car. Girl boss moment. Yeah. Buying cars is kind of fun. Yeah. Liz, thank you so much for being here. We'll mm-hmm. see you again when it's time to hear from our sponsors. Copy that. Okay, so Liz, Squarespace. I love it personally because when I used it, my site looked professionally designed and I have zero skill level. So (laughs) it was really easy for me to use. It's intuitive and I got a free domain because I signed up on Girlboss. Yeah, you got to use the Girlboss offer code and you'll get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Yeah. Liz, tell our listeners what they can take advantage of right now, exclusive to Girlboss Radio. Funny that you ask. Well, you can start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code GIRLBOSS to get 10% off your first purchase. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right, let's get to the interview. Rachel Schechtman is a fourth-generation entrepreneur who loves finding the next big thing. In 2003, she launched Cube Ventures, a retail and marketing consultancy whose clients include Lincoln, Tom's, Kraft Foods, Gilt, Gap, and AOL. In December 2011, she launched Story, a retail space in Manhattan that has the point of view of a magazine, changes like a gallery, and sells things like a store. Rachel has been named to Crane's New York 40 Under 40 list for 2015, Fortune's 40 Under 40 list for 2013, and on Fast Company's Most Creative People in Business. Thanks for joining us from our New York studio. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so on last week's episode of Girl Boss Radio, I talked with Beth Comstock. And the funny thing is that I really got to know Beth Comstock because of you, I was so lucky to be able to attend one of the, what do you call them? Is there, is there a name for, there's no, how name. often do you do this? <laughs> <laughs> there's no name. Beth's a great friend and has been, you know, a, a supporter of mine professionally. And, and I've been fortunate that we have developed a personal friendship. And, you know, after spending a lot of time together and talking about the different amazing women we meet in our, journey. We always thought it would be fun to do a mashup dinner. And we just realized there's just so many amazing women. So we just have to keep on doing dinners to get more and more uh, Mm -hmm. incredible women around a table. And I think the great thing about it is that it doesn't feel like it's just it just happens to be women. The whole thing isn't like exactly women talking about. Of course, that's the whole point. And that's why it doesn't even have a name. Right. I mean, my whole point was like, where is there a safe space to have an intergenerational conversation and like talk about the real shit. You know, we all go to conferences mm-hmm. and everyone's on a panel and talking about how they have everything under control and what they do for time management. But, you know, we all fail. We all fall on our face. We all make mistakes. There's, you know, and so where's the safe space to have those conversations? And that's really where totally. I think the idea came from for me. It was so nice. I kind of want to do that in LA, but I don't even know. I'm sure there's a lot. There are, there are a lot of really I'll do awesome it with you in LA when I'm out there next, by the okay. way. Okay. 
Cool. So one question I ask all of our guests on Girl Boss Radio is like, where did you get your start? Not even a start because sometimes your first job isn't a start. And I know that you come from like a long line of retailers. Is that right? Yep. On my mom's side. Where was your first job? You know, my my mom had a retail store um, from when I was like four years old till 15, 16. I got to like play merchandiser one day or, you know, window dresser the next day and cashier the next day. And and so I think that's where I got a lot of my perspective and experience. And then, you know, outside of uh, family nepotism and my first formal job, I think, in college was working at the Barefoot Contessa when Ina Garten oh. owned it in East Hampton, believe it or not. Oh, wow. What did you do there? So my mom's business is gourmet food. So when when I was two, she kind of knocked on the doors of, of Dean and DeLuca and Giorgio and Joel had started it and were running it. And she kind of apprenticed with them before launching her own retail business, which was in the gourmet food world. And so I kind of grew up in that world. And so when my best friend Bonnie asked me if I wanted to live in the Hamptons for the summer, I didn't even know what the Hamptons were. I mean, I grew up in West Hartford, Connecticut. What's a Hampton? I know. Um, <laughs> Is that a food? And it's definitely different now than it was even then. And I'm like, sure, why not? And then I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to do? And so I got a copy of the East Hampton Star newspaper. And I was looking at the job the job listings and one said retail gourmet food store. And I'm like, oh, my God, how is this possible? It's the only thing I'm qualified to do because I just like grew up eating for a living and playing in my mom's store. So um, the funny part of the story is, you know, so I was there, right, like giving Martha Stewart her baguette and Steven Spielberg his lobster salad. And I was working behind the counter. But I have to tell you a crazy part of the story is I called my mom after I got there and I'm like, my mom, this is so bizarre. It feels exactly like your store. I said the charcuterie, the tiles on the floor. It's like freaking me out. And she's like, wait, where's this store? And I said, it's in East Hampton on Newtown Lane. And she goes, holy mackerel. She goes, that was originally Dean and DeLuca. And that was the Dean and DeLuca that I trained in. And I modeled my store in West Hartford, Connecticut off of that location. So without even knowing it, I found myself working at the store that inspired my mom to open up her own store. So that was kind of the beginning of a lot of happy accidents in my career, I guess I could say. That's so sweet. And so what did you do there? Were you a merchandiser? Did you? Oh, no, I was like, I was like, 19 years old scooping out like <laughs> pasta salad and chicken salad and cool, it was funny cool. years later I met Martha Stewart and my at my store and she goes you look so familiar how do I know you and I'm like well I did fetch you baguettes at Barefoot Contessa but I really don't think you remember me from then but you never know is Martha someone that you've like gotten to know at all she's I have, such a fascinating I've got, personality she is yeah no I've been fortunate I have a uh, I have gotten to know her. The day I met her was kind of funny. I went to the store really early for actually quite a serious management meeting. And it was eight in the morning and and I was trying to get myself in the right frame of mind before everyone came. And all of a sudden, like Martha Stewart's at my door at eight in the morning at my store. And I'm like, what the heck is happening? And so I like let her in and she goes, oh, I've been hearing about what you're doing and I wanted to see it myself. So I'm like smiling and putting on you know, the best foot forward to do a little show and tell of the store. And then later when I got to know her, I was like, what were you thinking showing up at a store at at eight in the morning, right? Like, what stores open at eight in the morning? She looks at me and she goes, well, you were there, weren't you? And I'm like, okay, Uh (laughs) touche. Point in case. That's like how how you get things done when you're worth it. Her office is pretty close to you. Yeah, it is. It's like walkie talkie distance. 
<laughs> so I want to talk more about your consulting career. How did that happen? Did someone approach you? I think consulting and freelancing is something that is very attractive to a lot of people, but it can also be really hard because it can be inconsistent, but you get to learn so much. I'm just so curious how that began for you. Yeah, like many things in in my professional career, I think, you know, the mantra is happy accident. So I moved to New York <laughs> uh, in 1999. I worked on a startup that I never started. Then I took a full-time job to get it out of my system, and it was working for a luxury goods company that's no longer around called Vive. It was a, a catalog. And I was there for three years, and I just wanted to kind of understand what it was like working for someone else and also learn like the ins and outs of merchandising beyond, you know, the ad hoc 12-year-old walking a trade show with her mother. Um, and I think what I realized at the end was I'm like, okay, after three years, I'm like, it's time to leave and go do my own thing. But how and when am I going to do that? And so I'm, I just like made the decision. And I met with the founder of the company, Ava, and I said, you know, the time has come and I think I need to go do my own thing. And if memory serves, I think she even kept me on kind of freelance for six months after that. But serendipitously, what had happened was I had met a woman by the name of Marcia Kilgore. Marcia is the founder of Bliss Spas, among many other things like Soap and Glory and Fit Flop. And my idea of heroes and rock stars and celebrities are Marcia Kilgore or Angela Ahrens or Howard Schultz. And so I had met Marcia. She was doing a waxing demonstration at Saks Fifth Avenue. And I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's her. And uh, the Bliss catalog at the time had like a cult following. It had an annual circ of 25 million. It was amazing. And I sat down and I said, you have to wax me because I have to get to know you. And that's how I met her. And long story short, she had invited me, you know, a couple months later to dinner. And it was like a few days after I had said to Vive that I was leaving to go freelance. And I got there on time, which was a rarity. And she looked at me and she goes, hey, you want to come consult for Bliss? And like back then, it was like there was nothing better than bliss. I mean, it was the end all be all. And I was like, this can't be happening. And I'm like, oh, you got my message that I'm leaving Vive? And she's like, no, I had no idea. And so I just got super lucky. And six months consulting for bliss turned into two and a half years. And I was the lead buyer for their catalog business. And I launched them into fashion. And I have to say, my team calls it the Rachel Woo Woo. And there's been this steady stream of luck in my professional career because, you know, story after story, whether it was then Diane von Furstenberg hired me to launch the strategic business partnership arm of the CFDA, which at the time was called the Business Services Network. And then I worked with Blake and Tom Shoes when they were 20 people. And by the time I left the company, I think they were like 150 people. And they were, it was like one lucky moment after the next. And like knock on wood, it just keeps on happening. So don't discount luck and timing in the equation here because it, it, it's definitely one that I wouldn't be sitting where I'm sitting without it for sure. When you sell on sites like eBay, Amazon, and Shopify or your own website, it's always exciting to watch orders roll in. I remember doing that for so long and then finally I couldn't keep up with the orders. And we all hope that our company grows to the point where we can't read our customers' names as fast as the orders roll in. But I do miss those days. But you have to keep the orders going out 
to keep your customers happy and coming back. And that's why ShipStation.com is such an incredible product. It's the number one choice of online sellers. They automatically import your orders into one easy-to-use interface and help you choose the right carrier to get the lowest rate for every package. So they create shipping labels for all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS, right from your computer. And if you get a cool piece of paper with some sticky paper, it's real fun to slap those sticky labels on the packages. You can even manage, ship, and track your orders on the go from your smartphone or tablet, which is crazy. That didn't exist when I was on eBay. I didn't even have a BlackBerry. Liz, ShipStation is giving Girlboss listeners an exclusive offer. Can you tell them what it is that they should take advantage of right now? I actually can. I can tell them right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use offer code GIRLBOSS. Don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. Can you describe for our listeners what story is? Because, I mean, I've had the privilege of, you know, being there many times and of speaking there. And I just think you're one of the most creative, brilliant marketers I've ever met. The whole concept is just incredible. How did you get the idea and what is it? And yeah, everything. So story is a space that has the point of view of a magazine. We reinvent it entirely every three to eight weeks like a gallery and we sell things like a store. And I think the simplest way to describe what we do, since it is such a new form of retail and experience, is that it's really like a living magazine, or I like to refer to it as retail media. And really what I mean by that is if you think about magazines, right, editors and writers, they tell stories and express their their editorial point of view through writing articles and taking pictures. And then the way we at Story express our point of view is by curating merchandise around a specific subject matter and then having events that bring that point of view and that subject matter to life. And then magazines have advertisers and we have sponsors. So, for example, when we did Color Story, the sponsor was Benjamin Moore, right? Like they bring authority and authenticity to a conversation about color. They know more about color than I ever will. And then we brought that point of view and that expertise to life by editorializing it and curating different merchandise and then having events around that theme. Or another example was a recent story we did called Feel Good Story. And our sponsor there was Cigna, the health insurance company. And these are brands, right? Like Cigna, health insurance, retail, like what? (laughs) And so so it was really cool. And it was, you know, January, February, and it's restarting and New Year's resolutions and renewal. And so the store was divided into three sections. And we had good plan all about prevention and good vibes all about mindfulness and good eats all about healthy eating. And then we had over 20 events ranging from panel discussions on the future of caregiving to weekend meditation and yoga classes. And so, you know, really it's about, in our opinion, what the next generation of content community and commerce can look like in a physical world and really looking, you know, you you asked earlier how I started it or where the idea came from. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm four generations of retail 
product is in my blood. I walked my first trade show when I was 12 for my bat mitzvah favors wholesale. And <laughs> and as soon as I knew you could actually shop for a living, I knew what I was going to do. But I think, you know, in terms of the form in which it's taken and and how non-traditional it is, you know, Story launched December 1st, 2011. And we were actually the first ever physical store to launch in beta. And we called mm-hmm. ourselves a startup store beta and only sold merchandise from startups. But it was really based on two key observations and kind of hypotheses, right? The first was if you have 30 million people going through Target stores every month, or I think Starbucks is somewhere around 75 million a week, like that's more than how many different titles at some of these large media companies. And so – why are retailers not monetizing their foot traffic, aka audience, as a me- media channel? And why aren't brands accessing that audience in a new way to develop deeper connections? So kind of retail as a media channel was kind of one observation. And then the mm-hmm. second was we've had over 20 years of incessant digital and technological innovation. And we have new business models and patterns and consumer behavior and subscription retail and all this other stuff, but yet you look at a brick and mortar store and it looks the same and it acts the same and it behaves the same and it makes mm-hmm. no sense. Mm-hmm. And so if we're the same people who live online, who live offline, and last I checked, I think we were, you know, then why aren't we bringing, you know, content to life in different ways and changing retail from a place that sells things to an experience that sells things? And so that's really what informed the creation yeah. of Story. Like, why does media only have to be something that you pick up and read or scroll through on your phone? Can you just describe all the components that go into making story live? Like, if our listener could visualize walking into story, because there's things you can read, there's things you can touch, there's things you can watch. There's such a variety of categories of things that you curate. What are the moving pieces to making story go round? Sure. I think, um, you know, a lot of it has been trial by fire. Is that how they, what the, I don't know. My friends make fun of me because I always say things wrong. But literally when I started story, right? Like it was this theory and this framework and this idea, but there was no business plan. And it was kind of like, well, well, let's figure this out. And when you think of our business model, it's a Venn diagram that's right. Part retail store, part service business. And part media. And so you have content creation, you have an editorial team, you have retail sales staff. And then you have this whole second layer because those three worlds coming together makes its own unique cocktail. And so what makes you successful in traditional retail is not what makes you successful at story, right? And so, but I didn't know that going into it because I was in this position of leading, learning, and doing at the same time, which, by the way, can be a hot mess of a cocktail in itself. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because we started looking at people who worked and people who didn't work and what were the commonalities. And, and sometimes it's more important to understand why something's working and, and then figure out different tactics and ways to self-select those individuals. Because in traditional retail, a lot of it is about maintaining systems. And at Mm -hmm. Story, it's about creating them. And you don't capture proactive behavior and certain levels of emotional intelligence in a resume, right? So like, so my sister Jenny runs operations and she basically runs Story. So there would be no Story without Jenny. Mm -hmm. But one of the things she does is oversee all of HR. And so, for example, when she's hiring our Store team, which – you know, we call them storytellers. 
She'll start, they're all group interviews. She'll start it five minutes late. And the reason why she'll do that is because she wants to see how the group interacts. So if someone arrives late for an interview, does someone get up and open the door for them? If -hmm. there's not enough chairs there, does someone go and ask or look for another chair? Who's talking to whom? And it's the behavior in those moments that she observes that informs who are the right candidates more than anything else that happens after that. So a lot of this stuff, though, you know, I'm sure some people would maybe think that's silly. But, you know, we've kind of had to make up our own rules as we go, because when you're doing something that doesn't really have precedent, right, and it's never been done before, it's what Mm -hmm. I love, right? I love trying things first. And I don't need to be the biggest or the best. I just like trying it first, because it's like a little kid who's experimenting. And so the store Mm -hmm. at the end of the day is just one big living lab. And it becomes a lab for us at Story to kind of explore our own theories and capabilities and test new things, but it also becomes an opportunity for brands like Cigna or Amex or GE mm-hmm. to test out new strategies and ideas as well. What is the hardest thing about story? Because if it was easy, other people would be doing it, clearly. What is the most challenging thing about making something so complex go around day to day? So I is think it the same answer that we all have, which is people. <laughs> well, people's the first answer, but I don't think people's the reason why other people aren't doing it. So I think there's like two, mm-hmm. as it relates to us, there's probably two questions. So to answer the challenging question, the yes, people is the answer, hands down. And I would love to find an entrepreneur who doesn't say that as their first answer mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then find out what, what I'm doing wrong. But the other thing is why aren't more people doing this is if you think about the the business principles and the skill set that our our business model relies on and depends of, it's like – depends on – it's like a chief merchant at a retailer, right? So it's a – Head, it's a chief merchandising officer of Target or Neiman Marcus or Saks or Bloomingdale's, right? It's a it's someone who's a merchant and a buyer and has that kind of experience. And oh, by the way, it's a merchant and a buyer who can buy everything from like pet food to men's luxury goods to cashmere gloves to kids' toys. So there's kind of that merchandising retail role. But then on the flip side, when you look at what we do for our sponsors and our partners, right? That's like a publisher of a magazine or a head of advertising for a TV network. And so I became this accidental mashup of both of those people Mm -hmm. because I am kind of part ad sales and part merchant. And then I have nuances within both of those worlds, right? Mm -hmm. And because if you're a buyer in a traditional retail environment, right, you might be like women's designer ready to wear or men's footwear. And so – you know, I didn't know any better because I I just learned with my mom and we went to the stationery show and the food show and all these different types of shows. So I I didn't know what silos were before it was too late to figure out how to be trapped by them. And so mm-hmm. I think the I think there's other examples of companies doing things that are similar to what we do, but in ways that make sense for their own brand, right? But I've yet to see a model that's as deeply integrated because it really relies on that magazine publisher and head of advertising at a network being one with someone who's head of merchandising. 
you know, retails in your blood, where did the media side come in? You know, how did you learn to be the merchant who speaks into the listening of an advertiser and is able to package things that, that make them want to want to buy into what you're doing and want to sponsor a story? It's a two-part answer. The first is when I was in high school, I don't even know how I heard about it, but there was this event called Seventh on Sale that Donna Karen started. And it was um, selling designer fashion and money went to raise money for AIDS. And at that point in time, they had raised the most money for AIDS ever in a single day. And it happened to be the day I was there with my mom at the armory and I was in high school. And like this light bulb went off in my head and I'm like, oh, my God, it's not just about buying. It's about something else like, oh, you can sell something. That's the easy part. But what else can you do? Like you have this behavior. So it wasn't about fashion. It wasn't necessarily about nonprofits or but but it was like it's it's shopping, it's retail, it's consumption plus blank. And that it was it was in that moment that retail was part of the conversation and not necessarily the end goal, that it could be something used for more. And so I'll save, you know, the different manifestations of that throughout my career. In in college, I wrote a business plan for a nonprofit retail store and, and just really thinking about how you use retail differently. And then fast forward, and I had a 10-year long accidental consulting career. And so when when you kind of say, you know, how did I learn? I think it's it's be all these years consulting and kind of being on the outside, you know, you can be nimble. I always say we enable big companies to be nimble like startups because I'm not stuck in a silo and I don't have the the compensation. You know, I think compensation is so broken inside so many companies and it stunts innovation and collaboration. And so I think what, in what way explain that I think compensation structures are one of the most broken parts in retail right now. And and it's on the inside. Right. So no one you know, it's like internal bleeding. And sometimes you don't know how bad it is because you can't see it. But mm-hmm. I really think that that's a big part of the problem that no one's talking about. And if we rethought compensation and then the second part is training, I think You'd solve a lot of problems by rethinking compensation and training structures in some of these large retailers. I wonder if any of these large retail friends of mine are going to talk to me after this interview. Uh-oh. <laughs> they, might, they might try to hire you. <laughs> there we go. Being the freelancer that you are yeah. sometimes means that you have to do things that in the grown-up world. Maybe aren't as creative as the rest of you. Yeah. And accounting is one of those things. FreshBooks is a super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over five million small business owners and mm. weirdos like you mm-hmm. crush their paperwork faster so they can spend more time creating. Liz, why don't you tell our listeners some of the great features that FreshBooks offers? Well, you can create and send an invoice literally in like 30 seconds. There's no formulas or formatting, so it creates perfectly crafted invoices. Your clients can pay you online, which can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. Also, it will show you whether or not a client has even looked at the invoice you've emailed. Creepazoid. We all want to be creepazoids. Yes. And FreshBooks lets you be one. Mm-hmm. It also makes easy to customize invoices and highlights your brand. You can even add in your own logo, set your payment terms, and even personalize thank you emails, which I would never think to do. Yeah, because you don't you're not grateful at all. No, I have no gratitude. Um, FreshBooks is offering a free month to all Girl Boss listeners right now. To claim your offer, go to freshbooks.com slash girlboss and enter girlboss in the how did you hear about us section. 
So story is so much more than just shopping. You guys have a community. I mean, just going in there and seeing all the women who come out to hear different people talk. How have you cultivated that? And how do you think about community at the intersection of content and commerce? I'd probably say it's the biggest happy accident that we stumbled upon with story in terms of the store is going to change. And I knew or I suspected people would you know, if what we did the first or the second or the third time resonated would come back and see other ones. But I had no idea. It like struck a nerve. And there's kind of two different communities. There's technically three, right? You have the business community, the consumer community, and then you have the maker small business community. But I think for the sake of the community, you're talking about the two communities that I'm blown away by is our consumer community. And basically, like, I've thought about this a lot lately, and I think if some of these big retailers were to, like, really stop and focus on different online trends and behavior patterns and then literally say what's the offline equivalent to that, it would really simplify things. And what I mean by that is look at Facebook and LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. That's community, period, end of story. It is community, and it is sharing. But where's the 2.0 version of community in a physical world, right? Like, mm-hmm. we're not going to community centers. We're not, like, doing Kumbaya in the park. We're not going to libraries. Where's that 2.0 version of community? And so there's all these online and digital platforms for community, but where's physical community? And so, you know, we've done over 400 different consumer events, wow. and it's everything from, like, mixology class to a lecture or interviewing Folks like you or Bobby Brown or Dabana Karen or panel discussion. And and it can be anything on like what does feminism mean to you to the future of 3D printing. You know, it runs the gamut of subject matters and the letters. And there's one girl who stopped me in the street and she goes, I just want to tell you, you changed my life. And I was convinced she had the wrong person. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, it's Rachel from Story. She's like, no, I know, I know, I know. She's like, I've been coming to your events and and I've been so uninspired at work and just having access to the people and the subject matters. Like it's just really gotten me thinking about things that I'm excited in. And I just built up the confidence to quit my job and I'm starting my own company. And there's another guy who came in who we had a, with GE, we did our making things story and we had 3D printers and he made a product. He's a graphic designer. And he came in and he goes, hey, can I show you something? I said, sure. And he lived across the street. I, you know, he was just a customer. I hadn't met him before. And he goes, this is a prototype of a product I made. And he goes, I'm a graphic designer and I'd never seen a 3D printer before. And he goes, and I was so inspired and impressed and wowed by it that, you know, I started thinking about products and, you know, as a graphic designer, I never saw my designs three-dimensionally. And so this is a product I created. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool that we inspired you. And he goes, no, you enabled me. And the idea Mm. that a complete stranger and not even a person, a space, right, an experience, Mm -hmm. a collection of things can impact people. And if, you know, my whole thing is I'm just 10th Avenue and 19th Street and 2,000 square feet, right? Like imagine what this could be like at scale in terms of community. New Yorkers need to go visit now. Are you guys closed for – are you guys reopening? No, it's open till Sunday. It's have fun story. It's all about emojis. Go Friday, guys. But the other hours. What are your hours? My hours uh, (laughs) were eleven to eight, and on Thursdays we're open till nine, and Sunday till seven. This one's fun. It has make your own T-shirts. Pepsi's our partner for this one because they trademarked over two hundred different unique emojis, and so you can make your own T-shirt. There's a fake tattoo parlor with Tatley. 
Ooh. But the one other thing that I will mention, because it's my favorite, favorite, favorite thing that we do is pitch night. Tell us about pitch night. I love pitch night. I'm obsessed with it and I can't even take credit for it because it was an accident. So pitch night is something that began in, in 2012. And basically we were getting pitched so many products. I didn't have time to see them all. And so I'm like, you know what? Let's just have a night and just have all these people who are submitting products come in and pitch their products. And then I thought, if you're a small business or a maker, what do you want? You want press and you want sales. So I reached out to my friends, Evan and Josh, who started Cool Hunting, and they do this gift guide that everyone's obsessed with. And I'm like, let's just do this for the holidays and see what people pitch. And there was literally no filter. And again, going back to this idea of online, offline, like what makes Kickstarter and Etsy and Indiegogo resonate, right? It's the democratization of access and discovery. And so, again, I wish I could say, like, I calculated all this. It was just one big happy accident. But when I look back at it, the the formula, all we said is you have to have a ready-made product to sell, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. We can't turn it away because we don't like what it looks like or because it's a category we might not sell. And then people show up and they have three minutes to pitch. And the other part of it is you can't watch. And so you can only come to pitch night if you're pitching. And even once oh, you're there, wow, cool. it's once you're there, you get a name tag and it becomes a community night because you're hanging out with the other people pitching. You're not watching people pitch. And the reason for that is the intention of the night is access, right? It's not a spectator sport. It's not entertainment. It's someone's passion and giving them the the capability and the format and the platform to be able to share that story. And so over the years, we've had Mindy Grossman, who's the CEO of you know, the Home Shopping Network and HSNI and all those brands. We've had Adam Glassman from Oprah. We just had Mo Mullins from West Elm. But one of the best stories is in our very first pitch night, this woman, Beth Mockery, pitched this necklace called Hidden Message, Hidden Messages. And I freaked out. I have this like 10 second rule. A good person's like a good product and you know in 10 seconds. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this is amazing. And I put it in the <laughs> store. And then we had this customer walk in. You may have heard of her name is Whoopi Goldberg. And she had bought one of Beth's hidden message necklaces in our store. And she loved it so much that she put it on the view. So now you have this girl who walks into the store, pitches a product. She's never sold a product before. Next thing you know, she's on the view and doing, you know, six figures in her first year of business. But the story gets better because not only did she get access to Whoopi, but when we told Whoopi the story of how we found Beth, Whoopi asked, could I be on pitch night panel? So Whoopi came back to story, sat there for three and a half hours, and just, you didn't have to apply, you didn't have to know anyone, you didn't have to pay money, and people just got to pitch Whoopi. So we just had someone the other week. Pitch Whoopi. I mean, I pitch Whoopi sometimes after eating cheese. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sorry. That's funny. (laughs) People are flying in all over for it now, like Minneapolis, Toronto. That's so cool. That's so cool, giving people access. And it's... You know, you're a connector on many different levels. I think it's safe to say, I usually ask people if they're an introvert or an extrovert. You're an extrovert. I think that's pretty clear. You're connecting people just because you're bold enough to like put something together and be like, hey guys, we're here. And I don't think a lot of people have figured out how to do that or are as brave as you. I mean, what tips or tricks do you have? Like if you want to meet somebody, Rachel, what do you do to make it happen? Because I think, I think everyone who listens to Girl Boss Radio is just so curious about how she can make her network a little larger and find other people who have a, share a similar mindset. 
This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I love cold calling and people think I'm crazy <laughs> for it. And yes, I am. Like when I was younger, the school had to call the testing service because my extrovert number on the test was so off the charts. They didn't know what it meant. To answer your question about if you want to get to know people. So a couple things. Rule number one, most important thing to know, the worst that happens is someone says no. Like Ooh. that's the worst. Period. End of story. So like if you – my dad always says that with anything. If I'm scared for a meeting or or I'm talking to him, he's like, what's the – just get comfortable with the very worst thing that can happen. And then you you feel so much lighter. So it's kind of like just be like, all right, what's the worst? You're no worse off than before because you don't know them now. So if you ask and they say no, then you're really no worse off. So that's rule number one. And I say that from like a mindset and just energy being aware of that. Two other things I'd say in terms of – connecting with people is why like why do you want to meet them and then answer the question of like if you were them on the other side of the table and they don't know you right because we know if they knew you whoever that you is they would love you but if they don't know you why are they going to want to choose time to have a call with you or meet you for coffee so think through they don't need another friend I mean I thought about that years ago right like I always wanted to meet Mickey Drexler and the, I never emailed him because like, what? I'm going to be like, oh, Mickey, I love you. I think you're a genius. He already knows that, right? He doesn't need, and I'm a stranger. He doesn't know who I am and he doesn't need mm-hmm. a new friend. So I wasn't going to email Mickey until I knew that there was context to make it relevant and potentially something that would be interesting enough that would make him want to talk to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so smart. it's really thinking through the why are they going to want to talk to me and and making sure that's part of your message. And then the third part, is I like these random Rachel rules or Rachel theories. And one of them is make yourself an adjective. (laughs) And so years ago, I was trying to get into this hot new restaurant, which normally I don't care about, but I wanted, you know, I was young and I wanted to like impress these friends that were older than me and they really wanted to go to this new restaurant, Five Nine. So it was like a Thursday night in New York at eight o'clock was the reservation they wanted, which is like impossible. But I'm like, oh, I'll try. And he's like, Rachel, we tried. We can't get in. I'm like, oh, I'll figure it out. And I had no connection or pull. And I had just moved to New York. What do I know? So I called and I said, hey, I'm calling for a reservation tomorrow, 8 o'clock. Here's my name. Like just pretended like it was no big deal, fully knowing it was a big deal. And she like laughed. She's like, yeah, you're like the 30th call in the past hour for that time slot. And I'm like, all right, all right, I'll bring you chocolate if you can get me in at 7 or 7.30. And she starts laughing. And and she's like, I really have no time. And I'm like, okay, you don't like chocolate. I will bring you gummy bears. I will bring you gummy bears and I'll be there like super early at like 6.45, fully knowing that that's also not super early. So she's like, I really don't have time. And I'm like, okay. Chocolate and gummy bears. And so anyways, long she goes, I'll do six o'clock. And I'm like, I can't get there at six because I'll be late. So let's just settle on 630 and I'll show up with chocolate and gummy bears. So anyways, her name was Sarah. I remember her name. I showed up. I had chocolate and gummy bears, obviously, because she got me the table. And she brings me through the entire restaurant to meet all the servers. And it was like the most bizarre sensation, right? Like random Rachel Sheckman shows up at a dinner reservation and she's Mm -hmm. introducing me to all the servers. So I was like fascinated by this moment. And I looked at her and I'm like, can I just ask you a question? Like, why are you introducing me to everyone? And she said, Mm -hmm. well, people will say anything to get a reservation. 
And she goes, I gave you the reservation because you made me laugh. And she goes, but more importantly, you did what you said you were going to do. Now, let's mm-hmm. like forget the like sadness that it's a novelty that someone says what they're going to do. But, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but to me, here's the takeaway. A week later, when I wanted to go there on a Saturday night at 8 o'clock, I called up and I'm like, hey, Sarah, it's the gummy bear girl. No one <laughs> could be the gummy bear girl. So my whole thing is make yourself an adjective, uh-huh. right? So like there's other Sophias, there's other Sarahs, there's other Rachels. And I'm not the gummy bear girl to everybody, right? Like to different people, I'm the chocolate girl or I'm the necklace girl or I'm the shoe girl. You have a very, very short window of time to make an impression and have something stick. And more and more and more as we are oversaturated with content from every which way, how do you get someone to remember you? So it's the make yourself an adjective. That's really good. My last question and the question that I ask everyone on this podcast is what was your girl boss moment this week? And a girl boss moment can be anything from I gave myself a bubble bath to I exercised three times for the first time ever to I got a promotion or a raise or I, you know, I held my tongue when I really wanted to say what I thought, but I was a better manager that day. Rachel, I'm going to ask you, what was your girl boss moment this week? I don't know if this counts, but I would say, you know, I, an employee who's been with us for a long time left about a month ago and mm-hmm. she called me last night for my advice. And I think it was just a moment where I felt really proud. Because here's someone who she got to a point at story where she kind of outgrew the position and there was no other position for her. And she's young and talented and super bright. And there was a role at a a technology uh, e-commerce partner retailer that she took. And she she had called because she really wanted her advice and wanted to pick my brain and my mentorship, whatever it was. And it just felt really special that someone – who left, right? Like she chose to leave, but, and, mm-hmm. and what we say to everyone, you know, listen, story's not for the faint hearted and you don't know how intense it is until you're actually in it. And I could say fast paced till my face turns blue, but it's a whole different kind of cocktail. And so our culture is a very close one. So when someone leaves, it's like, you know, you're like losing a member of the family and especially with someone who's been there as long as, as this employee had. And so I just, you know, I was on the phone with her for over a half an hour and she just asked me a bunch of questions and it just felt really awesome that she left story, but she was still a part of story. And I'd probably say that was a moment in the past week that I was proud of. Yeah, I'm always proud to graduate people. I think people think I'm going to be mad when they leave. And I'm actually like, no, like you've been here for over two years or three years or whatever it is. And it's like, that is a really good amount of time to be with a company and that you're going now to do something that is so much bigger than what you were doing when you joined us is like, that's the best it can be for both parties because nobody really stays forever. Yep. Rachel, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with Whitney Wolf, the founder and CEO of dating app Bumble. Be sure to sign up for Girl Boss Diary, our email newsletter at girlboss.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Girl Boss. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And if you haven't read Girl Boss, go do it now. Buy two. They're cheap. You can buy one for your friend at nastygal.com, Amazon, or anywhere books are sold. And you can also pre-order Nasty Galaxy, my second book, which comes out October 4th. 
4th, currently available for pre-order on Amazon. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at Girlboss. Our email address is info at girlboss.com, and you can find me at Sophia Amoruso on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify app, Google, Chrome, Cast, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. Thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and to my husband, Joel Jacques de Graff, for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll see you next week. Girl boss.